So welcome back again to the second part of Come and See Inspirations. My name is John Keeley, still joined by Shane Ambrose. And we're delighted today to have Father Adrian Graffy join us. Uh, Father Adrian, good morning to you and you're welcome again to Come and See Inspirations. Hello, thank you very much. Nice to be with you. So as our listeners will remember, Father Adrian shared a reflection with us last week on chapters 1 and 2 of the Acts of the Apostles. Father Adrian is a scripture scholar, according to the website anyway, parish priest, and directs the website goodnews.org. So, Father yeah, Ad- what, what good news? Don't forget the word. Oh, excuse me, what good news.org. <laughs> there you are. Thank you very much indeed. So, Father Adrian, you're a very busy man, and thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Maybe to start with, you might share with us something about your website, whatgoodnews.org, and why and when was it set up? Well, my priesthood, which is been going on for nearly 50 years, started in a very in a very unique way. I was privileged to go to Rome to study scripture, after which I taught scripture in a local ser- seminary for more than 20 years. So when I came back to the diocese, um, I was asked, well, will you do something on evangelization and spreading the gospel, which I did. Now I'm a parish priest, but my other job and uh, they both go along nicely together, is to work to uh, promote understanding what we call evangelization and particularly to develop this website, which uh, is called whatgoodnews, one word, .org. And on it, you'll find all kinds of uh, material recordings, sometimes just audio recordings. Then we went into video But what really gave us a huge boost was, of course, lockdown, because people were contacting uh, the church for mass, et cetera, uh, through their computers, through live streaming. We started doing live streams, and we also did a lot of extra recordings. Just like ourselves, maybe um, fortunate, yeah, so. fortunate enough to have to you know to have lockdown because I, I found within our own um, country here in Ireland during lockdown, I was able to access a lot of stuff online that I never knew was even there before, and, and so it really yeah. was a blessing. Exactly. Oh, absolutely. And and I myself in alone in the parish house with no people coming to mass, and I started going to mass as it were. You know, all over the world and the office, liturgy of the hours all over different places. So I was never alone. And, and it drew me into the feeling, yeah, I know I'm part of the church, but I can see I'm part of the church. And so I wanted in turn that we offer stuff, you know, offer things going out to help people in their journey of faith. And had some wonderful speakers over the last uh, couple of years. Well, even before that, but uh, it's really developed for us. So what sort of stuff, as you say, or resources are available on your website for? Well, well, we've got, um, I just need to tell you, because I'll forget it, we've also just got a Twitter account. So if you go on whatgoodnews.org, you can also find details about Twitter. And the great thing about Twitter is I was persuaded by a friend who understands these things to do it. And it doesn't take much effort. And it's what I'm doing every day anyway to try and explain the feast or the scriptures or something that's happening in the church. So Twitter is 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 nice and it's, it's not challenging at all. Um, but then the major things that we have on the website, uh, first of all, study days, which are recordings, either audio or video of, of days that we've had with different, different speakers. 
Um, there was a whole series of talks about Vatican II, which we did. Oh, it's getting on for seven years ago, but of course Vatican II is still very relevant to the to the to the church as we go forward. Uh, so there's that series of talks, which are um, audio talks. There's what we call faith talks, which are slightly shorter than study days, but essentially kind of the same. And then recently we've developed something called scripture readings. So I'm determined to do commentary on every single reading in the major seasons of the church. So if you go to scripture readings, you'll find there's a whole section of text, which is the readings of every day in Lent, every reading throughout Lent. And of course, having done that, <laughs> I've now got to work on Advent to catch up and then Easter for next year. So these are the kind of things. I mean, there is a lot that comes from me, but a lot from colleagues and very talented people who have uh, collaborated. So, and I've got, I, I've actually published some of this. So there's a volume on the Sunday Gospels which I, a couple of volumes I recently published with Dan Longman and Todd um, with the new uh, Revised New Jerusalem Bible. So there's a lot going on, and I hope that it's going out there. I, I'm absolutely thrilled when I get uh, someone from Australia or Malta or the States or who knows where getting in touch. And I always say to them, please tell your friends. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I went into one part of the of the website actually where you have the Sunday the Sunday readings and and you 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 offer a little reflection on every single one that I can see at the moment. So yeah, yeah, the gospels certainly are there. That I mean that that's been there for quite some time. But then more recently, I'm doing the the seasons like Lent I've done. So uh, yeah, and, and and all to try and help people and to help my brother priests as well, anyone who needs to preach or explain the liturgical uh, scriptures, you know, I'm in a position to be able to give them a bit of a helping hand and I enjoy doing it. So there we are. I'm very blessed. Well, we are blessed to have somebody like you to, to step out there and, and put in so much work for it because I'm sure there's people out there at, you know, even for people to have the opportunity to maybe prepare for the next Sunday Mass, you know, uh, have a look at those readings that are coming up next week, because yeah. maybe we, it's it's not so easy if you just walk into church and, and expect to absorb oh. all the meaning. It's oh. impossible. We can't do it at all. Exactly. Yeah. Read it before, listen to it when you're there, and read it after. That's yeah, I, I think that's not a, that's not a bad one at all. And you 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 also then have um have a contact um, section on that website too. Well, what's yeah. the, what's the purpose of that? Well, if you just go to the bottom of the homepage, it will say I think it's called Keep in Touch. Put your details, and then whenever something new is coming, we have a big mailing list. Then it just goes out. You just get an email occasionally which tells you what's going on so if there's a live stream talk you can join that or at least you'll know that after being live streamed it's going to be up on the website very soon afterwards so it's really about uh, people keeping in touch with people who want to know about these things it won't it won't clog your inbox <laughs> no but so so therefore if if somebody were to Enter the details on there. What did they get? 
when it comes through, okay. I will send each person an email, say, thank you. Your details have been registered. Please tell your friends. And then they may wait. They may wait a couple of weeks. They may wait a couple of months. Okay. I mean, there's a few coming up now. Like I did one for the Acts of the Apostles. I did one for the Easter Vigil. So sometimes they get more, but it's not a, you know, it's not a huge thing. It's just wanting people to take advantage of all the work we've done once it gets out there. Well done, well done, and I believe you, you aren't doing so bad at the moment because you gave me a few numbers there just before we started off the uh, yeah. record our, our podcast at the moment. So, do you know, there, there's a lot of people out there from Malta, as you said, from Australia. Oh, from, from all Malta. over, yeah, yeah. And if I've got a particular contact, I'm always looking for a contact who's influential, somebody who works in evangelization, say, yeah. in New Guinea or, or somewhere like that. <laughs> Let's get it out there because it means that you know, I'm not just talking to the people in my parish. I want to go further than that. And that's yeah. the one of, of this of communication and of what you do. You can you can go beyond Limerick, yes. beyond the island. Yes. You know, and people want this kind of thing and then and it's very helpful and it's gratifying. You know, it's satisfying for you as well, I would imagine. Well, I, I think so because it's it's really the same gospel that we're all reading each week. Exactly. And we've all got this. And our parish priest, when he shares Lecture Divina with us, um, you know, each week, he says, no matter how much time, how many times you've, you've read that piece of scripture, there's going yeah. to be something new. Exactly. Oh, yeah. So don't just yeah. turn it off and say, ah, sure, I know all of that. And I don't want to bother I've done that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we all do that. <laughs> so the reason why we had you on, first of all, to tell us about that, and thanks a lot. Uh, hopefully it won't be the... Well, it won't be the last time we have you on. But what we want to, to do now is to... Last week you shared with something with us on part one and part two of the Acts of the Apostles. And thank you indeed for that. So you're going to continue on this week sharing part two of your reflection, which goes... Well, you tell us. What's this, part, what's this next part about? Right, yeah. Well, this was during lockdown, and I wanted for... I always thought, well, for a long time I thought, we put a lot of effort into Lent and into the scriptures of Lent and the Sunday Gospels of Lent. And then when it gets to Easter Sunday, we're exhausted. And Easter Sunday, we begin 50 days of celebration of Easter. And every single day has a reading from the Acts of the Apostles. So I thought, I must do something on the Acts of the Apostles. So I'm actually working now on doing every single reading for Advent and then Easter. But in the meantime, I did these, these talks which take us through so you get the thrust of the story of the Acts of the Apostles, which I divided into two parts. One is called simply the Acts of the Apostles, and that goes from chapter one to chapter eight. And then I've got Paul in Acts, because from chapter nine, St. Paul appears, Saul appeared, and, and he, he kind of dominates the rest of it. And I've got, I don't know, I think three different talks on St. Paul. You need your Bible really to, to keep with it, but I, I hope it's helping people to appreciate this wonderful book of, of the New Testament. I think, I think at, at the readings in the church these days, um, starting off this week, uh, going from chapter nine, isn't it? Is it uh, it will be chapter nine on Friday. Yeah, yeah tomorrow yeah. We're, we're chapter eight, we're Philip, Philip going down to Gaza. Yeah. yeah. And and Friday, you're right. Yeah, the conversion of of Saul or the the call of Saul, and and it will go on. And of course, we don't have enough days in Easter really to cover it properly. So the last few chapters, which absolutely fascinating about 
Paul's trials and what happened to him in Jerusalem and then Paul got to Rome. That that gets very little attention. <laughs> so, you know, people would read that and say, oh, I've never heard any of this before because it doesn't come in the le- lectionary because it's like there's not much time left. Let's jump a few chapters. <laughs> so so we, we, we're now going to listen to that. And then you, you, you picked a piece of music right at the end. Uh, to tell us about the bit of music. You've- oh, the music. Yeah, God. God can only do faithful love. It's a wonderful Teze chant, which again I came across during lockdown, and I wanted some music to finish these uh, mm-hmm. talks from Acts. Even though my technology is extremely simple, I just put the player on and hope it records. <laughs> but this is this is the music is beautiful. The words are beautiful. They're they're taken from Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, my soul, and all the wonders. And you could just, I mean, you just stay with that for hours, really. Lovely. In the meantime, let's listen to part two and this piece of music, and we'll take a break, and then we'll come back, and we'll discuss and chat about this week's Sunday Gospel. So we've looked at uh, chapter two, chapter one and chapter two of the Acts of the Apostles, and now we come to a block of chapters, three, four, and five, which kind of fit together because they tell us of the impact of the activity and the preaching of the apostles in Jerusalem. And there are similarities with the presence of Jesus in Jerusalem, the reaction of people to him. We have, therefore, the first opposition uh, to the apostles. Up to this point, we go to the temple, been uh, approved by people as it said at the end of chapter 2 verse 47 they praised God and were were approved by all so chapter 3 begins with the uh, endearing story of the lame man the uh, healing of the lame man by Peter and John they're going to the temple and Luke tells us the beginning of chapter they used to go up to the temple for afternoon prayer and they went and one day they went and there was this man now the miracle the healing of the lame man is the trigger for what's going to happen Um, we don't think much of miracles in the Acts of the Apostles but they are there Uh, miracles worked by Peter and Paul and and by others. So a man who was lame from birth, it says, going and begging. And Peter's reply, we know, is classic. I have neither silver nor gold. It's in verse 6 of chapter 3. I have neither silver nor gold, but I will give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, stand up and walk. Stand up, get up and walk. And of course, he takes him up, he, he uh, helps him up, and the man uh, finds that he can walk. His feet and ankles, ankles become firm, he jumps up, 
stands, began to walk around, and then he went with them into the temple, walking and jumping and praising God. So this man is obviously delighted to be healed. The reaction of the crowd. People are astonished and perplexed. You know, the, the, the apostles are even more popular. This then uh, is the opportunity that Peter takes to speak to the people. People crowding round. And Peter saw them, he addressed them. And he begins, men of Israel, why are you surprised? This is chapter 3, verse 12. Why are you staring staring at us as though we had made this man walk by our own power? And then he begins, and it's interesting how he begins. The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. So he makes a very clear link with the faith, the faith of old, the faith from the beginning, the faith of the fathers. You know, this is the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the patriarchs, the the God of the patriarchs and matriarchs. It is this same God who has glorified Jesus and then straight in to the basic kerygma that you had killed him. You killed him. Verse 15. You handed over and disowned him. It says you rejected. And, and, And he gives all kinds of titles to Jesus. The Holy and Righteous One. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses. So once again, the essence of the kerygma, you killed him. You can, with different ways of expressing it. So the Christology, if you like, is developing these different titles that are given to Jesus. He is the uh, leader, the author of life. Um, um, Hebrews uses the same word, uh, archegos, the the um, the leader. Jesus is the leader of our salvation, the leader of our faith, and here the leader of life, the author of life, whom God raised from the dead, and we are witnesses. And then we move into, well, what should we do? Uh, The question isn't explicitly asked, but uh, Peter is very clear. You must repent. Be converted so that your sins may be wiped out. And so that the times of refreshment may come. And and God may send the predestined Messiah. So we have this extraordinary reference to the return, to the return of Christ. And further references to Scripture Uh, A very positive presentation. Verse 26. It is for you in the first place that God raised up his son and sent him to bless you as each one of you turns from your evil ways. So once again, the priority uh, given to the Jewish people. And this doesn't exclude the rulers. In verse 17... Peter had said, I know you acted in ignorance when you put him to death, as did your rulers. 
So it's an all-embracing offer of forgiveness. Let's move on. Let's convert. Let's realize what God has done in Jesus Christ. So once again, a very positive uh, chapter three. But, but, chapter four. While they were still talking to the people, the priests came up to them, accompanied by the captain of the temple and the Sadducees. So this is the first conflict with the authorities. There will be a further arrest in chapter 5. So I said 3, 4 and 5 fit together. The healing of the, of the lame man, the speech of Peter which then leads to the first arrest of the apostles, and then there will be a further arrest in chapter 5, as we shall see. And all of this is being read uh, during Easter week, uh, these chapters, and then overlapping then into the second week of Easter. But who are these people who come? Uh, the priests? the guard, the temple guard, and the Sadducees. And that's very interesting. And Luke makes it, makes it clear immediately. Why are the Sadducees annoyed? The Sadducees do not believe in the resurrection. We know that from the Gospel, Mark chapter 12, verse 18. That's how the Sadducees, this priestly group, are described. They don't believe in the resurrection. And here we have it, Peter and John preaching the resurrection so chapter 4 verse 2 they were extremely annoyed at their teaching the people by proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead so they had them arrested and they put them in prison until the next day for it was already evening remember that they'd gone up for the prayer in the afternoon so it was already getting dark by this time and they uh, put the apostles uh, in custody, in prison. But then we have a positive note, verse 4. Many of those who had listened to their message came to believe. And the total now has risen to something like 5,000. Remember it was 3,000 after Pentecost, and now it's risen to something like five. So there is constantly this contrast, the religious leadership and the people. The next day, rather like uh, with Jesus, taken into custody in the evening, and then the next day in Luke's gospel, it's the next day that we have the trial. And uh, Luke says that the rulers, elders and scribes held a meeting and then he gives names. Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, the great Caiaphas, and John and Alexander and many from the high priestly families. So they were part of the, of the Sanhedrin. And they set the prisoners in the middle and they ask them, by what power and by whose name are you doing this? And this gives Peter the chance once again. This is going to be a shorter speech. 
But in verse 8, filled with the Holy Spirit, he said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if you are questioning, questioning us today about an act of kindness to a sick man, how he was healed, you must know, and the whole people of Israel, that it is by the name of Jesus Christ, and then we have it, you crucified and God raised from the dead. This is how he stands before you. And then another scriptural quote, uh, Psalm 118, it's the stone which you the builders rejected that has become the cornerstone and it is through him that we find salvation. Verse 13, the seeing the boldness of Peter and John. Now this is the word parousia, Greek word parousia, translated boldness, also means courage. I think, I think courage, boldness is, uh, but it will recur, parousia. They'll even pray uh, later on in the chapter for parousia, for courage, the courage to proclaim. In verse, uh, in verse 29, grant your servants to speak your word with boldness. And in verse 31, they began to proclaim with boldness. So the, their arrest uh, is the opportunity to proclaim the truth about Jesus. And that is... Uh, something which we, we can hear that in the gospel, Jesus telling his disciples, you will have the power, you will have the words. Okay. The reaction, obviously, is not going to be a positive one. Um, and uh, they are told to stand outside and the rulers, and the priests, what on earth are we going to do? We've got to stop this spreading. Um, we, have to th we have to tell them not to preach in his name anymore. And Peter and John reply, you must judge whether in God's eyes it is right to listen to you and not to God. We cannot stop proclaiming what we have seen and heard. So the preaching, the necessity of preaching, the boldness, the, the spirit-filled strength and courage which they receive, this will continue on. So they're threatened once more, and then they are released. And the rulers, it says in verse 21, they found no way to punish them because of the people for all the giving glory to God for what had happened. The same thing happens with Jesus. People, the people can see the truth. But it's those with power and in fixed positions, whether it's politically or in religion, who can't see, who are determined not uh, to allow this thing to continue. Then we have a rather curious verse 22, which I think it brings a smile. We may have forgotten about the lame man, but the man on whom this sign had been done 
was over 40 years old. How that verse gets in there, I don't believe we have it in the lectionary, but it would be nice if we, if we included it. Then the disciples go home and they report everything that's happened and they pray. The prayers reported in verses 24 uh, to 30. Master, who made everything. And then there's the scriptural quote from Psalm 2. Why are the nations uh, raging against the Lord and his Messiah? So we've got these texts which are specially chosen and fit exactly what is going on, uh, what is being experienced. And they say, Herod and Pontius Pilate came together. And now, Lord, they are threatening us. Grant that we may preach with boldness. By stretching out your hand for healing and signs and wonders to happen through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And then we have what's sometimes called the second Pentecost. Verse 31. As they prayed, the place in which they were gathered rocked. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to proclaim the word of God with boldness, with parousia. The end of chapter 4, we have another summary, verses 32 to 37, about the group of believers being of one mind and one heart. Um, we've had that expressed with that word, homothumadon, before. And then possessions were held in common. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection and great grace was on them all. But the, the stress returns to the pooling of resources, to the generosity of people who became members of the community, giving what they had. And as it says in verse 35, they laid it at the feet of the apostles. And then we have the introduction of the man called Barnabas, which is easy not to notice. There was a Levite of Cypriot origin called Joseph, whom the apostles called Barnabas. Barnabas, which is given the interpretation, son of encouragement. He owned a piece of land and he sold it and brought the money and laid it at the feet, at the feet of the apostles. Verse 37. Barnabas will, of course, be a great a companion of Saul, of Paul. And he's going to be uh, introduced again uh, further on in chapter 11, 11.24, where he goes, he accompanies, um, or he, he goes to find Saul in Tarsus. But when he's introduced in 11.24, he was a good man, filled with the Holy Spirit and with faith. So Barnabas has this sort of supporting role, but is uh, the first mention is his generosity in giving what he had uh, and laying it at the feet of the apostles. So in chapter five, 
Chapter 5 continues this sequence, the one or two other things which come in, but um, I think we need to go to verse 17, where the high priest and those with him and the Sadducees are getting more and more anxious. And it says in verse 17, they were filled with zeal, filled with zeal. Remember, Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. They are filled with zeal. Zeal takes on a rather negative connotation of the word zealous. Uh, the zealots. They're filled with zeal. This is going to do them no good and do nobody any good. And once again, with the Pharisees, the anti-resurrection party, when Josephus, the Jewish historian tells us about the different groups around at the time of Jesus. He talks about the Sadducees as being a priestly party, but trusted by the rich, but not by the people. Whereas the Pharisees, and we'll meet Gamaliel, the Pharisee, in a moment, the Pharisees were closer to the people, were very clear on their teaching, uh, but were appreciated uh, by the ordinary people. So we have the high priest, as I said, getting anxious, all those with him, and they arrest the apostles. This is in verse 18. So this is the second arrest. We're not told how many apostles. We might think, well, this is Peter and John, the two that had been arrested before. Um, but I, I wonder about that. It's not specified. Maybe there were more. Maybe it was the whole group. They're put in the jail. But then in verse 19, we have this extraordinary, at night, the angel of the Lord opened the prison gates, led them out and said, go and take up position in the temple and tell the people all about this life. And they went to the temple at dawn and began to teach. So we have this extraordinary idea of the angel of the Lord opening the jail. Um, it will happen again in chapter 12 with Peter, with that famous story, and it's elaborated, the story, we give him details of the story of what the angel says and how the angel takes uh, Peter out. So, And there is, of course, another uh, incident, chapter 16, when the earthquake frees Peter and uh, Silas and others from the jail in Philippi. So, you know, part of this sort of the tradition of wonderful things happening, and we might ask ourselves, what does that mean when the angel of the Lord let them out? Maybe there was a good jailer, maybe there was some mistake made, or who knows, who knows? <laughs> you may simply want to say, well, the angel of the Lord, this is the Lord's doing. So, they, then the next morning, of course, the council has gathered and it is reported back to them that the apostles are now once again preaching in the temple. And the temple guard or the guards go off and they bring them. And it says in verse 26, not by force, for they were afraid that the people might stone them. Once again, this clear 
sense the people are supporting the apostles. Okay. Moving on then, uh, we obviously have a, an opportunity for Peter, another opportunity for Peter to address the council. Um, verse 29, the high priest says to them, in verse 20, 28, we gave you a strong warning not to teach in this name. And you've filled Jerusalem with your teaching and want to bring this man's death down on us. Look, like, look at it, it's this name and this man. The high priest won't refer to Jesus. But in reply, Peter uh, and the apostles, obedience to God comes before obedience to human beings. And we have another synthesis of this kerygma. The God of our ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, raised up Jesus, whom you executed. So the basic, you killed him, God raised him once again. And gives us an opportunity for repentance, for the forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses, says Peter. We and the Holy Spirit. We and the Holy Spirit. The confidence with which they are speaking. And this only infuriates the council even more. And we have for the first time, they wanted to put them to death. And this is where we have the intervention of Gamaliel. Gamaliel is a Pharisee teacher. He presided over the Beit Din, the tribunal, and he was a public figure uh, between about AD 25 and 50. Uh, Paul refers to him as his teacher in Acts 22. Three. So this man has a status and he urges caution. He says, look, this thing will sort itself out as have other uh, episodes in the past. He urges them not to take precipitate action. Then, uh, so I suggest, he says in verse 38, you leave these men alone and let them go. If their movement is of human origin, it will break up. But if it comes from God, you cannot fight against God. And they were persuaded by him. But they still order for the apostles to be flogged, forbade to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they are released. But, as you can expect, they left the presence of the council rejoicing to have been found worthy of suffering humiliation for the sake of the name. And every day in the temple and at home, they went on ceaselessly teaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus as the Messiah. So with that, we come to the end of that block, which is three, four and five, uh, activities around the temple. We move into chapter 6. Um, they have already expressed the desire to kill the apostles, chapter 5, verse 33. 
And in chapter 6, we will actually have the story of the killing of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. But before that, we have the choosing of reliable men, seven reliable men, uh, who have the spirit, who have wisdom, for service at table. The apostles wanted to dedicate themselves to the service of the word. They'd been neglected, the service of the word. This is very interesting. Perhaps this is something to do with scrutinizing the scripture. See how the scriptures are finding their way, quotations, definite quotations are finding their way into the speeches. So what is this about? It's very interesting to consider. So these other people, and they are then named, these other men, Stephen, who's described as full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, but then also Philip and several others. But it is Stephen and Philip who will now uh, be mentioned in these chapters 6, 7 and and Philip in chapter 8. First of all, though, we have the story of Stephen. Filled with grace and with power, he began to work great wonders and signs among the people. Chapter 6, verse 8. And people came, they seemed to be Jews from the diaspora, from further afield, from Cyrene and Alexandria, and they came to debate with him. You don't really know the details of all this. But it leads to uh, accusations against him of speaking against the holy place, against the temple. And that is curious because that is what they say of Jesus, that he's been speaking against the holy place. And we then have a massive speech of Stephen, chapter 7, verse 2, all the way to verse 53. We don't read this in the liturgy. It's a very complicated speech. It's, it's peppered with uh, scripture, refers to Abraham and Joseph and Moses and, and David. But it comes to a climax when he calls the people stiff-necked, uncircumcised in hearts and ears. You're always resisting the Holy Spirit, just as your ancestors, ancestors used to do. Uh, they killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one, of whom you have become the betrayers and murderers. So it's a very clear a courageous thing to say you you killed the prophets and now you have killed the one who Stephen refers to as the Dikaios, the righteous one. You received the law from the angels and you did not keep it. And that is the trigger for the crowd to uh, lay hold of Stephen to take him outside. But Stephen, the way Stephen's martyrdom is reported in verses 54 uh, until, this is 7.54 to chapter 8, verse 1, has these clear similarities with the martyrdom of Jesus. Stephen says that he sees 
gazed into heaven. Look, I can see heaven thrown open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now, you can hear the resonance of what Jesus says to the high priest. Uh, Luke twenty-two sixty-nine, And they cry, cry out and they rush at him and they thrust him out of the city and they begin to stone him. And there is Saul, a young man called Saul, verse 58. The witnesses put down their clothes at his feet. And as they were stoning him, Stephen says two things which are found in the uh, passion story of, of Luke. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Luke twenty three forty six. Jesus says, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Quote from Psalm 31, 6. And then in verse 60, he kneels down. And cries out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Which recalls for us, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. That's Luke 23, 34. So there's a clear portrayal of Stephen. Um, Stephen's experience of martyrdom as reflecting the spirit experience of Jesus, particularly as told uh, by Luke in his passion story. And chapter 8, verse 1, tells us Saul approved of his killing. So we have these two very brief references to Saul. This will be opening up a new development, a conversion of Saul and the work of Paul the Apostle. So we are, we have really completed at this stage the first stage of the mission. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and then Jesus has said in Samaria. And there is in fact now in chapter 8, uh, reference to a mission to Samaria. But first of all, uh, verse 1 of chapter 8, after the killing of Stephen, there's a great persecution. And everyone except the apostles scattered throughout the country districts of Judea and Samaria. Devout people buried Stephen, made a great mourning for him. And then Saul began doing great harm to the church, going from house to house, arresting men and women and sending them to prison. So we're coming to the end. We've come to the end of the Jerusalem and Judea ministry and the martyrdom of Stephen has led the Christians to leave Jerusalem except that the apostles remain, which is important and interesting. There will be a Christian presence, a continuing Christian presence uh, in Jerusalem for some time. But then we have what might seem an interlude, but actually is fulfilling this, this uh, plan that the gospel will be preached in Jerusalem, in Judea, and in Samaria. And chapter 8, the first part of chapter 8, is taken up with the, uh, so it's 1 to 25, 
with the mission to Samaria. And this is the mission of Philip, the second of those chosen in chapter 6. There was Stephen and there was Philip. So Philip goes to preach, great signs of rejoicing uh, in Samaria. We have the episode of Simon, um, which uh, fills out the story. And then verse 14, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. And they went down and prayed for them to receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet, the Spirit had not come upon them. So, also the end of the chapter, they went back. Peter and John went back and they went proclaiming the good news to a number of Samaritan villages. So it's as if we've got to uh, fulfill Jesus' desire that Samaria should also be evangelised. And then the final episode in chapter 8, before we go into the story of Saul stroke Paul, Philip sent uh, being told, go to the south on the road down to Gaza. And there he meets the Ethiopian, the eunuch, the official of the Ethiopian queen. Now he's described as a proselyte. He's, well, he's not actually described as a proselyte, but he, he had been visiting Jerusalem. So the question is, was he a proselyte, an Ethiopian proselyte, training to be received as a as a, one of the Jewish faith or is he a full Jew we don't know because we're not yet moving into the Gentile mission it's not to the ends of the earth yet so somehow this is still part of the uh, the early stages of the mission and he is baptized they had considered together the text of the of Isaiah fifty three about the suffering servant and Philip explains who those words refer to, and then there is some water, and that's in verse thirty six, and um, the eunuch wishes to be baptized. Now you'll find that there isn't a verse 37 in the text that you have. But there is a verse 37, but it's not well testified to, if you know what I mean. It's not in uh, many of the ancient manuscripts. But it allows for the eunuch to make a profession of faith. And the eunuch says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that really satisfies our need to have him make a proclamation of faith because he's going to be baptised. But it is a beautiful uh, conclusion to this. So we've seen how the message is preached to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria. And what is left now is that it should be preached to the ends of the earth. The Acts of the Apostles is a story about 
the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus. It's a wonderful thing that we should be reading it during Easter time. And I'm going now to conclude with some music, a Teze chant, which I think sums it all up. God's love is for all people. We're seeing that beginning. And in freedom, we can accept the Easter message. And I want to listen with you now to the Teze chant, God can only give faithful love. Thank you very much. Thank you. 